welcome again, everyone. Thank you for joining us uh, today for our webinar on community participation. Uh, this is Wednesday, day three of our ongoing transition to adulthood week. Uh, and just for those of you who don't know, we do a transition to adulthood conference every year, parent conference. It's, it's great, big success. Lots of people come out. We've done it for 10 years. This is the 11th year. Of course, we couldn't gather in person this year. So we're doing this a whole week of virtual events, uh, informative videos, live on-demand webinars. And this is just one part of it. We're going to be talking to a panel today about community participation. Uh, and I'd like to introduce my uh, panelists today, my ripen colleagues, first of all, Sue Donovan. Sue is here uh, along with Crystal Cerullo. They both work on our parent training information center team, part of our transition to adulthood team. And we are super excited to be joined today by a couple of guests. First is Kiernan O'Donnell, Key. Key was raised uh, by an advocate of people with disabilities and learned the power of inclusion at an early age. Key currently serves as the Director of Day and Employment Services at the Fogarty Center, uh, is an ACRE instructor at the Sherlock Center, is co-president for the Rhode Island Association of People Supporting Employment First, and he's delegate for the Northeast region of the National APSI Board of Directors. Key is a father and husband who enjoys riding his motorcycle. He's a wordsmith who channels his advocacy in the form of hip hop. Welcome, Key. And we are also joined today by Susan Hayward. Susan Hayward's the administrator of the of transition services within the Division of Developmental Disabilities. She's a licensed social worker with over 30 years experience in the field. Uh, Susan was mentored by the pioneers of, the, of deinstitutionalization and community inclusion in Rhode Island. Uh, and she's a committed to carrying that good work forward. Welcome, Susan. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Very happy to be here. And we are very happy to have you. Uh, for folks who are joining us today on Zoom, I want to let you know our presentation is being recorded. Uh, we are also live streaming to our Facebook page and our YouTube channel. And whether you're with us on Zoom, whether you're watching on YouTube or on Facebook, uh, please, 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 we want your questions for our panelists today. You can type your questions into the chat here on Zoom, into the chat on YouTube, into the comments on Facebook. Uh, please, please, please type them in as they come to you and we will relay them to our panelists who will do their best to answer them. They really are here uh, to answer your questions. So please don't be shy. Uh, with that, I'd like to turn it over to our guests. They have a few slides they'd like to present and a few things to get us started. Sure, I'll, and I'll, I'll uh, uh, kick it off here. Um, first of all, I just wanna say, I, I know that Key and I are so very appreciative to have the opportunity to participate in this webinar today and talk about what it means to be connected with a community and how we go about doing that. And I thought uh, perhaps I would start our discussion talking a bit about connections and relationships. So, you know, we know many things in our life are important, our jobs, our finances, our health, our opportunities to direct our own lives. But if we really think about it, think deeply about what's important and what we truly need, what gives us a rich life, a life with meaning and purpose and comfort and joy. It's our connections with others, meaningful relationships, someone to turn to for companionship and to share experiences. And when we have these meaningful relationships, we feel joy together. We can work through sorrow or anger, or talk about issues that concern us or topics that create enthusiasm or curiosity for us. And relationships also give us opportunity to use our gifts and our interactions, maybe to provide comfort to someone who's hurting. When I was thinking about this webinar and what would be really important and good uh, to talk about, I was thinking about what is it that causes your life to feel full? What are those times when our life has felt like really it was very rich? And I know for me, it's been when I've shared something with someone else. I feel as if we all have a very strong need to belong, to have a sense of being part of something larger than ourselves. And when I was thinking too about when, when does that start for us? When do we start feeling like we are connected with other people and we start feeling as if we are 
part of something bigger than just our, our own small selves. I think that initially it happens through others. It happens uh, through our parents or our caregivers, our family. We go to school and we start making friends there. We start uh, feeling connections with others that really start to expand our life. And perhaps when we're young, we feel part of our school community, especially so, I think, perhaps in our early years. And then over time, uh, we start making our own friends. You know, we have extended family that we're interacting with. We perhaps maybe have some neighbors that we're feeling connected to. We have teachers that we feel close to, perhaps people in the community we meet, like maybe through sports teams or clubs that we belong to, maybe through some faith-based organizations. And we really start to understand and realize that there's a larger community that we can feel connected with and that we even can contribute to. And I really... In thinking again about this, I was thinking about how these connections to this larger community, they help us feel happy in a new way. They help us develop other skills and other feelings about ourselves. They help us become more confident. And I think that our connections with our community also help our communities be stronger and healthier too. So I know many of us, I think, understand what it's like to feel connected to someone through a similar interest or a similar life experience, but we also all understand what it's like to feel lonely and disconnected. And our responses to that are different. Perhaps we might retreat, we might over time begin to choose not to interact with others. Maybe we start feeling a little angry or cynical or frightened without even realizing it. Maybe we do some acting out or, you know, have some kind of reaction to that, that causes other people's to feel, other people to feel uncomfortable. But even if we choose a solitary life, it's part of our common humanity to feel connected to others, to a community, to enjoy the resources available to the community, to contribute, even if it's just in a small way. We really are, as um, one of the people I like to follow, David Petoniak, has said, we are hardwired to connect with each other. So it, again, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking if, you're, if you've ever, let's say volunteered your time, maybe helped another person, even just had a moment where you smiled or caught the eye of someone across a crowded room and had that moment of connection, it's really wonderful. We need it. We need connection with others to grow, to live in this world, to, to flourish. So that brings us to the question of how do we build community and build friendships? You read my mind, Kay. So this, I think, especially now, is a very hard thing to do in our culture. And one of the reasons for that is because, at least in the way that I've been viewing it, is that there are, there are screens everywhere, screens that pull our gaze away from the world around us. We all are using cell phones. And um, if you have ever stood in line somewhere or been even in a restaurant or even sometimes in a meeting, many times people have their heads down looking at their restaurant, I'm sorry, looking at their cell phone rather than being aware of their surrounding. And I think we need to be very mindful about pulling our heads up, looking around and getting outside our comfort zone. Building a life isn't just about schedules and being busy. It's also about truly connecting and building relationships, building connections in our communities. It's about thinking, thinking about and planning for what you want your life to look like. So part of what we're talking about and going to be talking about today is how do we help young people do this? Learning how to be self-determined, learning how to advocate for yourself, learning how to direct your own life. These are paths to building relationships and community connections. And these also help us develop things in other areas. Helps develop our self-worth, helps us with our decision-making, finding a job, developing confidence, being productive and independent. Sometimes we get bogged down. We get bogged down in the demands of life and the struggles we have, and we forget to look toward our future or even our every day with imagination and hope and to think about what's possible. Everyone has a gift. Everyone has a creative outlet. Everyone has the ability to make a contribution. We can help young adults build self-determination and self-direction and build relationships with others. 
based on interests and abilities and not disability. But before I talk anymore or even turn it over to Key, I thought I would really like to check in with our friends and colleagues at Ripen and see or hear about their thoughts on this. Thanks, Susan. Um, I know uh, when I when going through the journey uh, with my own child um, and working with families at Ripen, uh, finding your place in the community can be challenging sometimes, uh, especially uh, when you're a little different than the other, you know, third grade girls. Um, I remember my daughter coming home in sixth grade and saying to me, I want to sit at the cool girls table. And I said, oh, you know, maybe the cool girls, maybe they're cool, but maybe they aren't the, you know, best group for you to hang with. You've got to, you've got to, um, you know, you've got to meet different people and um, really look for girls that have your, you know, similar interests and, and, um, you know, it always in middle school, it's, it's a tr a struggle, that identity. So yeah. uh, to be a little different, you know, um, that even it makes it more challenging. So we tried everything, leave no stone unturned. Um, we, we joined groups. Uh, we, um, we investigated what was going on at the library. Uh, we joined scouts. We did everything and we, you know, took the good from it and things that worked well, we continued and things that didn't work well, we recalculated like a GPS. Yeah. So, um, but it's really helping um, your child develop that self-determination, those self-advocacy skills where they can articulate what it is that they need to be successful, what it is that they need to make them happy. Um really is practice, you know, practice and a safety net. Um, I, I learned quickly at, a, at, at an early age that my picking the friend for my uh, son, at, well, I have three children, but my, my, one of my sons and, and my daughter, that was never a good idea. I, I was, I'm not a good matchmaker. I am not a good matchmaker. And I remember after one play date one day, my son coming up to me and saying, don't ever invite that kid over again. And I said, okay, sorry, <laughs> that wasn't a good fit. Um, but it, you've got to do your homework and you've got to do your research and you've got to be patient. Um, and like you said, really looking at your gifts and your abilities and, before, not too a couple of years ago, oh, a few years ago, we we discovered a lovely little playhouse theater in West Warwick, and my daughter was very very comfortable and very happy in that environment. And um, we visited it uh, many times for different performances and different events. And I know that once we get through um, our current situation and uh, and things start to reopen, that we'll be back at that community because that creativity and the people that we met there and that she met there, um, she made connections and she she really thrived in that environment. Um, so you really have to keep an open mind and um, be willing to lean into your discomfort and try things that, you know, maybe you're not always, you know, comfortable trying, um, but you have to keep an open mind. Yeah, I think that's such a great way to describe it, Sue, because, you know, it's the genuineness of it. And for a parent, you know, the genuineness of that is that you want your child to be connected. You want them to have friends. You want them to feel as if they're, they're part of the world. And yet they don't know themselves that well yet. And so in our, in our desire to take care of and protect and, and even nudge forward. Sometimes we go toward things that maybe they're not interested in. And so it's, in some ways, it's a stepping back a little bit, but also continuing to give that encouragement and, and helping to figure out how, how can you, how can you help your child develop the skills to be able to do some of these things independently? And making sure that they have the appropriate support. And yes that's a dance and that's okay. But that was a dance that my husband and I learned how to do well 
Um, you know, it's like, okay, she, she was very successful in Girl Scouts, but she needed a certain level of support around that, you know? Um, and then there were things that you could back away from and, and she could do more independently. And so you have to be willing to strike that balance. And as a parent or caregiver, you have to be open uh, minded and and realize that sometimes another adult or someone's going to ask you to step away, you know, <laughs> back off a little bit. We need we need some space um, or they may call you and say, hey, you know what? We, we need a little bit more support. Do you think you know, do you think you could attend for the first half hour of the session of this club or this activity or this, this, you know, um, project, you know, and, um, so you, you can't take offense. You can't have thin skin. You have to, um, you have to be a team player. Yeah. It's hard to do that because this feels like a risky world, you know, and we, we are sometimes bombarded with, um, the, the stuff that doesn't go well in the news or elsewhere rather than that is happening and the good things that are in existence. And sometimes we don't know where to look. You know, sometimes we need other people to help us see a little bit differently. It's, it's, a, it's a tough, it's a tough position to be in, but it's possible. We, you know, we're surrounded by so many people who can help us and can help us see differently. Key, I'm thinking this might be a good time for you to uh, perhaps talk about some of the things that you've experienced or that you're aware of and that you wanted to share with us today? Sure, it'd be my pleasure. So uh, I really appreciate the comments that were just shared about what I call social capital or what every person, regardless of who they are or where they came from has. Now social capital might be a term that's familiar to some, but not familiar to others. So just to give you a little context, social capital can be a lot of things. What social capital should always be is something that's meaningful to the individual. Social capital can include a variety of things, including your network, your passions, your interests, maybe your contributions, maybe your gifts, all the things that we talked about that are crucial components of relationship building also fall into social capital. So when I hear Sue talk about the importance of self-determination, I start to think about, in my life, what have been some effective strategies that have helped individuals and families, I'll just say, get on the same page. Because we've all experienced that before. And being a parent myself now, start to understand a little bit more about that. But when people don't feel like others are on the same page, they may express things, let's just say, not the most constructively, because they're trying to get their message across. And one of the most things I found to be really intimidating for individuals and families has been sometimes out of some really good person-centered planning, but wondering now how that plan might be able to become an actual strategic plan with action steps that we can feel progress, embrace the success large and small along the way. So what we have in front of us right now is an individual who I know that I'm not naming who is a young lad who has some interests out there, some connections, some dreams, like maybe meeting that comedian Jay Leno. Maybe, maybe we want to get a job with cars down the road. He doesn't know. He's still very young. He's also an outdoorsman. And although he might only be able to physically use half of his body, has learned from his uncle using a jig how to make some pretty cool flies. So he's thought too, maybe I might want to open my own business someday. The aspirations that we all want that we all ask people what they want to be when they grow up really should be the constant questions and opportunity to self-determine along the way so that they can show the world who they want to be. And parents, take a step back sometimes, as Sue says, and when I say your child is in the driver's seat, I can mean that literally. What I'm talking about today really is about the driver's seat of life. And that's where I found what's helped us drive around traditionally, things like maps and GPSs, use the technology. Should be the same types of things that help us navigate, charter the life course. So when we're starting to get potentially a little intimidated by all of these really cool things that came out of person-centered planning, we always wanna make sure it doesn't fall short and become person-centered promising, where we've helped change one's expectations, but not shown them a pathway on how to do 
So I am a big proponent of enhancing people's social capital and their self-advocacy through what's known as mapping. Now, mapping has been called a lot of things. Just when they say, as they say many times, there's an app for that, I like to say there's a map for that. And many times when mapping is being identified, it's called community mapping. I think that's great and all, but I also think it's a low bar. Also, I think sometimes when we start to engage in community mapping, I like to call social capital mapping, we start to think most about what types of things the community can do for our loved ones, when really we need to broaden our horizons and think less about participation and more about contributions, because we also want people to be valued as they're experiencing and interacting in the community. So what has changed in front of you on this graphic is some of the auxiliary things, those goals, those thoughts, those interests, those passions haven't changed. The person's still there and still wanting to do those things. But what we started to do is through some of these proven strategies, identify whether it's people, places, or things that maybe the person has connection to that might be a natural way of being able to build off of that and build capacity and show their place in community. So for instance, this person who maybe had those interests of tying their own flies or working with cars, well, let's look at where they are right now. They might be in a Facebook group. You might be able to connect them to another Facebook group that might actually connect them to a physical place like the car museum, or who knows, you might meet that Jay Leno and maybe in the same breath, maybe make some connections through say your dad's friend, Rick, who works at an auto detail shop to learn more about cars and see if that is a pathway that you wanna pursue for a career. On the flip side, that interest around maybe self-employment, again, just an interest, a thought, a passion. Maybe, and to the point of Sue's using the faith community, maybe Pastor Jill, who runs that fishing and faith club, might be able to connect us with some businesses that maybe this person might be able to build up some marketing base, while at the same time, maybe getting some skill sets through the DD Council, Sue Babin self-employment classes that have been proven very effective, taking hobbies and turning them into real enterprise. This is how a person doesn't just draw from the community, but draws from their experiences and contributions in the community to be able to grow. I love this process because this does not mean for, this means with. You encourage the person to be the driver's seat in life. We're just the folks who are here with the maps, giving suggestions. Ultimately, you're in control of where you wanna go. And also I think, take the disability aside. Is this not a proven strategy that all of us use? We've all heard the saying, sometimes it's not just what you know, it's who you know. Let's build off of that. And this should be a process, as I'll get to in the next slide, that should be returned in, and I say revisited many, many times because the more opportunities that people have to self-determine their lives, the stronger those skill sets that Sue talked about that she wants for her daughter Kelly to be enforced with for that next step in life. And what I'll say too, guys, is when we want to make sure it's about relationship building, that is not a numbers game. And although integration is very important, in my mind, that's a baseline standard and a numbers game. We really want to look to beyond integration, inclusion, and what types of things was that young lad looking for in a car shop, that culture to be included? Because certainly you can be doing things that you are great at in a company that pays you well. And if you don't enjoy your work culture, the job still is a bad job at the end of the day. So we want to look beyond just the front door of opportunity and really see how it finds its place with relationship building. So where does your child start? You're probably wondering. A lot of fancy slides, a lot of information. Sometimes, again, that can be intimidating. And I'm here to tell you that you already have started. You need to take confidence and reassurance in that. Life is very complicated. It is a composite. So when we start to think about how we got to where we are now, it's about the decisions we've made informing the next decisions. Sometimes that can change the way that we approach challenges or opportunity. And so I like to present to you a little graphic I made, I call put the fun in the funnel. 
This is also supportive of a best practice strategy, not going to use the acronym, but it's called the School-Based Self-Determination Career Development Model. And all I want for you to really think about within that long name is that people have already started their life. They have interests. For this particular young man, it's a lot of outdoorsy type things, but he also is a big foodie and loves his jams. We start to think about how in middle school and high school, the role of being introduced lightly to maybe a tour or a conversation, an informational interview on businesses might help further define what it is we really want to try out. And maybe that means in high school, we're looking at maybe four to six more long-term paid or unpaid experiences. So by, by the time that we start to reach transition in that adult life, we know what we want. We're going to hold those who want to support us accountable because we have the guidance we have the vision, and we are now practicing self-determination to reinforce what we want, even when it's not going the way that we intended. And that, folks, is also the right to risk. I did not work at Kentucky Fried Chicken for my career. I worked there, not to date myself because now it's called KFC, but I went there to see if I could get a date with someone who it ended up not working out with anyway. From those experiences, I gathered more. And as a composite, found myself in hopefully a niche in a profession, helping people with disabilities and barriers find careers. These are the kinds of components that we need in the system. And when I say in the system, I mean, we need people who can help self-determine their own lives to change the way the system supports them. Yeah, I think a big thing too to someone from Ripon, maybe Crystal or, or Sue. How have you found uh, approaches like this? And I will say they should be like a resume or like in life, living and breathing. So that funnel you can always add to. Has that been an effective practice? Well, I think a big thing to point out too, with a lot of people, they might struggle um, with anybody is you actually have to try to have some experiences so that you can build on that and figure out what your interests are and what you don't like and what you might want to do. So I think that's a big thing is a lot of people may have not actually had many experiences to really build, you know, their interests or what their strengths are or know what they want to advocate for to do. So I think that's definitely a starting point is trying to push people to out of their comfort zone to maybe have some experiences. I know right now it might be challenging with um, COVID going on, but there is a lot of like autism projects having a lot of virtual different meetings and meetup.com has um, different virtual kind of things that you can participate in that you might be interested in. Um, so I think even right now you can still try to start working on that and just figuring out having experiences, talking to other people and figuring out what you like and what your interests are and what you want to do. I agree, Crystal. And I know at the beginning of this pandemic, the first couple of months were very difficult in the Donovan household until um, we were all able to embrace technology and learn it. And we were lucky enough to have a direct support worker who was determined to teach herself and then help teach my daughter. And in doing that, she was able to connect with friends, with, with peers, she started watching, um, I guess, I haven't done this yet, but apparently Netflix or you can watch a movie together. So that's been a popular activity. Um, many of the families that we've worked with over the years uh, really um, have worked hard at identifying those gifts that their children have that um, that aren't on the surface. They're not easy to see. They're not easy to recognize. Um, we we had one family whose son um, uh, he he um, kind of a loner. Um, he wanted to go out in the community, but he didn't like to be in big groups. Um, not super verbal, kind of quiet and to himself. Certainly, he was social distancing before it was in vogue, um, and. What um, the family realized was he loved to, to bake. He loved baking and he was good at it. And with a little bit of support, he started baking cookies, packaging them. And, you know, mom started with bringing a basket to work 
and oh my gosh, you know, they were delicious and people were scooping them up and, 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 and buying them. Um, and then they went from that to, he started delivering because he, he liked, he liked those, um, little visits. He had done some work with meals on wheels and he loved, you know, arriving with food, but it was like, I, I don't want to stay too long. Here you go. Have a great day. And then he'd leave. So the, the baking and the cookies took off and through networking within the family and, you know, family friends, this, this young man developed maybe half a dozen different customers, um, businesses that he went to. And when, when we saw him coming, it was like chairs. Everybody knows your name because, oh my gosh, you're that guy that makes those delicious cookies. Um, and again, it was almost by accident. You know, sometimes we discover these things by accident. Um, so you're always, yeah, you just, no stone unturned. You, you have to keep your eyes open for those moments where um, you, might, you might find a fit. And, and, I, and I know it can be very difficult. Um, uh, you know, if, especially if you have a child that's nonverbal or, or maybe isn't the most social or um, socially awkward or maybe resistant, maybe resistant to trying new things. Yeah. So I wonder if I could jump in real quick, because we have a, a couple of questions that have come in that are really related to what we're talking about. Um, one of our Facebook uh, audience members is asking, how can we as parents help a child who feels socially awkward interact with other children that also have similar interests like art, dance, drama, et cetera, what have you. So how can we, how can parents help their child who is socially awkward? And that was a great story. Um, that, that you just gave about, about the, the person who liked baking and delivering those cookies was like just the right amount of social interaction for that person. But what, what are some other ways that parents can help their, their kids um, get that social interaction that we all know that we need, but that for some kids and young adults comes a little less naturally than others? I'd like to share another story and some of my friends here may be able to help me with that. And as it comes to mind, um, uh, so a young uh, a young woman. Um, it was Valentine's Day, and the art teacher decided they were going to make art projects, right? To send home, you're going to make something for mom or dad or grandma, whoever you live with at home. And this this young woman um, uh, uses American Sign Language to communicate, and the teacher took a picture of this, this woman, uh, this young, the student's hands uh, signing, I love you. And, um, and then they framed it and that went home and that was a gift for mom for Valentine's day. Well, mom loved it. She really loved it. And um, fast forward, um, mom supported her daughter and her team, the IEP team, different people on that team helped support this young lady to develop a business out of it post high school. Okay. And, um, yeah. Oh, actually I have something right here that I could share. Emily's creations. And this particular one I bought for myself because I want to remind myself every day, love who you are. And I want to remember that I need to love who I am. And um, so this, the artist, Emily, her and her mom um, have been a friend of Ripen now for a number of years because our paths have crossed many times. And, um, She's working closely with Sue Babin's group and the Rhode Island Developmental Disabilities Council um, and learning how to grow that business. And they, they opened up an Etsy shop online and it really took them, kind of like that Dr. Seuss book, it took them to places they never imagined they'd be going to. And this is a young woman who is nonverbal. You know, she uses American Sign Language to communicate and Gosh, I remember, you know, I know 
Emily and her mom or Emily and one of her workers, they're invited to so many different things now because of the work and because of the business. So they connected with some arts art groups in Pawtucket and they connected with some co-ops, you know, that you share space and you can sell your artwork. Um, she's very connected to the Rhode Island um, art community, uh, which is a, an awesome thing. Oh, I think you've got more questions in the chat, Mark. Yeah, yeah, we've, we've got some questions now. And I'm glad you mentioned that that story about um, the sign language, uh, Emily. And because we one of the other questions was, you know, this sounds great. What you're talking about this sounds great for a child who is verbal. But what about a young adult who struggles with communication, has more significant needs? So I'm glad you gave that example. But I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about that, because I think that I think that we get this um, kind of frequently where it's oh, that's really interesting what you're talking about. That sounds good, but it won't apply to my child. Um, what do you say to that? So I would say uh, a couple of years ago, a pretty well-known filmmaker by the name of Dan Habib was looking to uh, celebrate and embrace success in Rhode Island and was looking for you know certain types of profiles of people, which certainly in my capacity could have given a, a reference to but I said, Dan, you know, let's let's challenge ourselves here. Uh, I love success stories, but too often do I think that they focus on a typical type of person with disabilities at a typical point in their life. And actually, I've also experienced that with some families, those success stories can actually be intimidating when it was not the intent. So I like to focus on what's known as the struggle and the, the strategy to success. And so I talked to Dan, the filmmaker, and said, Dan, you know, uh, actually, let's, let's talk about a young woman who isn't employed yet, who has multiple disabilities, both physically as well as cognitively, and also comes from a community that maybe recently immigrated, that has some cultural and language barriers and some socioeconomic challenges from a neighborhood that I also shared with her in Providence. And with that same person using a lot of these strategies that we're talking about, including mapping, found that the power of siblings, namely her brother, Stephen, was one of those catalysts that helped open up opportunity. Because I'm a firm believer that even with limited experience, the right supports, people can, 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 can achieve their dreams. It's more about the community seeing value in the person and opening up opportunity, which I think, you know, we all own a little slice of that pie with. So I'm very much a proponent for the keep it real conversation. And young woman behind me on the wall there would agree. Yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's a poignant question, Mark, that's, that's being raised. And I, I actually have Belanger made a, made a comment in the, in the chat there about, just getting into the community as much as possible and being part of life around you as much as you possibly can, as, as much as it feels uncomfortable. Um, because in some ways, exposure and challenges eventually lead us to something that will be beautiful. It's just getting through the difficult part. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's tough. It's tough when you, when you, you know, we have, we have a way of functioning, you know, we have a way of interacting with the world that seems typical, so to speak, for, for many, but then we have a family member who interacts differently. And so it, it, it makes us nervous. We get worried. We don't, we don't want to offend people and we don't want our, our family member to be hurt. And, and we, and we, we start struggling about how can we, how can we do this in the way that we know? And what we need is ways that we don't know, you know, ways that we, we can really, pay attention to our family member, figure out how are they communicating? What is it that they're trying to say? And then, and then, and then help, help, help connect them perhaps with people of similar interests, people of um, different opportunity to try to just make that happen. It's not an easy question. It's, it's a tough question. It's a tough thing to do. It's a, it's a lot of work and um I know I find it 
difficult to be objective when it comes to my own children. Um, so I need to have people that know and love my child in the room and get ideas and input from them. Um, for many years, I had decided that my daughter was going to be a librarian because she loved to read. She was an avid reader. And even though we did, we were asked to leave a few times from, you know, story time in the children's library, not everyone, you know, uh, likes those um, little yelling loud children. And there were times where we had to leave, make a quick exit. But I was determined that she was going to be a librarian. And finally, my sister-in-law said to me, have you met your daughter? <laughs> I said, yeah, why? And she's like, Sue, she likes books. That's it. She, she can't be in a library. She never stops talking. You can't, you know, she won't, it, it won't work. It's, that's not an environment that's going to work. But in my mind, that was a safe environment. And, and I thought, oh, she'd be safe if she could just be a librarian and we could keep her in the library. Life would be good. So get other people in the room, ask them their opinion, even if you're afraid of what the answer is going to be. Um, be. It takes a village. It takes a village. And, and you need that type of input to even consider um, slightly different things that that you as a family or you as a parent would not, you know, uh, uh, not be open to, or it wouldn't be your go-to, you know, you wouldn't typically be willing to try. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was just going to say, I think a lot of parents fall into that trap a little bit of, you know, you have a, a pretty clear idea for your child of what they're going to do. Um, and that obviously, uh, runs up against reality sometimes and it, and it goes against everything we've been talking about so far all week about things being person-centered and self-determination, but it's hard as parents and, and, you know, acknowledging uh, that it's, you know, we're saying, take your child out into the community, participate as much as possible, but acknowledging that that's not easy. Uh, and we have a question that we have come in from one of our audience on zoom. Um, and they write Mark, as a can parent. Can I jump in real quick? Oh, yeah, please, please. Interrupt, but I just want to quote somebody by the name of Sean Roy, who I think uh, this is something that, that I routinely will say with people on the provider end. Um, and it goes something like this. Uh, and Sean is also a family member of, of someone with disabilities and I think is probably one of the, the, the premier names in the field right now regarding this. Um, I am yet to meet a family member who has not advocated for their son or daughter in the way that they feel is of their responsibility and what they should be doing. So it's always important for us to acknowledge, especially on the provider end of supports, that families are doing what families believe are in their best interest because they are family. And instead of looking at that as resistance, we have to look at that with understanding and tap into that social capital. And that's why I really uh, just wanted to also celebrate Deb's comments in the chat box as well. Sorry, Mark, please. No, no, please. I'm glad you said that. That's, that's super important. Um, and I really appreciate you acknowledging it. One question we do have, uh, and they write, as a parent of a 14-year-old, I find that thinking about this whole process is very overwhelming. And I hear you say, find opportunities but where do I start? Where do I start to find opportunities that will be, that will really be safe, meaningful, and lead to other things and relationships? So that question of where do I begin, really? Yeah. So uh, I, I'm just going to repeat that. myself and say, yep. Oh, I'm sorry, Sue. Uh, can can I jump on? Sure. My fangs are out. Thank you. Um, no, I, I I I truly believe people have already started, all right? And I think that there's strength and acknowledgement in that. And I think when we're talking about, well, really, um, you know, how does this become something that's gradual, consistent, and doable? We want to continually help define, in what I call a strength-based approach, what are interests, build on that, continue surveying one's interests. Do that as Deb's point is, through immersion and participation in the community. 
you'll find that people will have less perceived identity on the person with disabilities and more about them as, oh, that's Joe who comes in for a cup of Joe on Tuesdays. And also to the point on mapping will also lead towards, I think, better outcomes where I think as a state and really as a country, we struggle with natural supports. But I find that if we do this in a low, steady, like a good barbecue approach, uh, the outcomes are, are, are going to be there, but they won't be overnight at once, nor should things that I think uh, are meaningful in life come that easy. Sue, I'm sorry. Yeah, and Key, it's a great uh, point that you make. And also, um, Mark, I had seen that comment before you read it, and I, I thought, you know, that is so true. I, I And I think I'm the one who said find opportunities, and I'm, I'm actually so glad that person um, wrote into that comment because it's, it's good to expand upon that and even clarify it more. And, and really the way I think about that finding opportunity is kind of how, how Key was describing it. It's, it's not even so much find, finding opportunities in the community, it's finding opportunities within your family, within your family member that you're worried about to see where, what are the interests? What are the things that, that, that are enjoyable to, to all our family and our individual family member? And then, taking that a step further and not looking for that in the community, but creating it, creating an opportunity for people to join you. So I'm very influenced by um, a wonderful conversation that we had actually with my friends from Ripon um, several months ago with an organization that has really transformed um, their thinking about how to support families. And it's not so much about, providing support, but it's more about helping people be able to um, think about their, think about their family, think about their family's interests, think about what they enjoy doing, not basing their thinking about, we have a family member with a disability and we need support, but more about, we're a family who enjoys artwork. We're a family who enjoys gardening. We're a family who enjoys music. And then coming up with an opportunity, very small, it could be with just a few people to invite a couple people in your neighborhood, perhaps, or some other community that you're connected with, a faith-based group, or maybe even some folks from school to join you in participating in that activity. So it's kind of a reverse of you're not out there looking for something. You're, you're creating something based upon what you all love, not a support need, but a, but a life-enhancing kind of um, outlook instead. It's hard, but it's yeah. a different way to think about it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, think that, I think that it can be difficult for parents and for family members to see, you know, Key saying it's you've already started. And it, I think it can be hard to see that when you're so close to it. I think that's why the work that, uh, that, that all of you do, uh, whether it's the Fogarty Center, whether it's the social workers that we all work and interact with, the, the peer professionals at Ripen, uh, I think it's really valuable and important because you're able to sometimes show that family and show the parents something that, that they wouldn't be able to see because they are so close to it. Uh, and I wonder if, if anyone wants to comment and speak to that a little bit about how you work with parents to, to sort of help them see you know, when you talk about strength-based approaches, uh, how do you help somebody identify what those strengths are when maybe it's it's not, it doesn't come so naturally to them? So Mark, I'm going to share, and I see that Deb shared in the chat as well, that sometimes hobbies, um, p- things that people enjoy can really be a catalyst and a connector to something else. Um Looking back when my daughter was 14, all I could do was get through dinner. You know, it was like, what's for dinner? If I can make it to the end of the day and it's time for her to go to bed, we're good. You know, if we could make it through the day, that would be good. Don't expect everything to be complete or done by the time they finish high school. Um, I, I remember in sixth grade, well, when she was in sixth grade, a teacher coming to me and saying, you know, um, I, I think she could go to college. Oh, really? Okay. Now that was a game changer. So it's like, uh, we were kind of focusing on life skills. We were kind of doing going down one path. And then all of a sudden, we found out that she might be able to obtain another path. 
so we so we did. We we okay. We're going to encourage this. We're we're going to work towards this. Of course, some of the other things you know fell off the radar, and we didn't quite get to. But when we did get through high school together, and many of us worked together to get through high school together, um, some of my friends at Ripen uh, were first to remind me that I needed to listen to her and listen to what she was advocating for and what she was telling me. Because I was that parent, just take the diploma. Let's graduate. Take the No, we need to get out. We need to be done. We need to be done with this. And I was just focused on that and and. She was just ready to um, to prove me wrong uh, again and again. And she said, no, I'm not ready to graduate. And I need to go to a transition program. And I don't want to go to college full time. And I don't want to do this. Hey, why don't I go to college and go to work and I'll do every part time. And, you know, and of course, I was like, no, no, you need to go to college. You need to do it for four years and you just need to get it over with. Well, fortunately, she won out as she usually does. And cause she knows herself better than anyone else. And she's finding great balance right now in her life. She, she works part-time. She goes to school part-time. Um, she has some different groups of friends, always looking to expand that or to find friends that maybe have um, different interests that connect to hers or, you know, grow those relationships. Um, it's and and I was one of those parents who thought everything is going to be fine once she graduates from high school, right? Like the disability was just going to disappear or something. I don't know what I was like a headache, take an aspirin, it'll be fine, right? You're going to be fine. Um, and it was like that was just the beginning when she left high school. All of a sudden, that was her social world, and now we were in the adult world, and it was like we need to meet new people. Like, are you kidding me? Um, so, but fortunately what she did as, as, as what we did as a younger family and trying to make those connections helped later on with the natural supports, you know, it's like, Oh yeah. Remember that girl that was always so nice in, in Girl Scouts. Guess what? You know, she's going to junior college too. And she's, she's, you know, we can carpool. Oh, that's terrific. So, um, just, you know, sometimes you have a, have to have a little bit of faith, um, and everyone that's here today and everyone that's been visiting our conference this week, this is, you really, um, it's networking. It's all about networking and pick up the phone and call Ripen and, you know, and, and when we don't have a resource for you, we connect you to our other friends like Advocates in Action and the Autism Project and, um, you know, uh, Sherlock Center. And we work with all these different groups so that we can help you find the resources because it, it's a part-time job. You know, I, I remember feeling when the, when the kids were young, it's like, oh my gosh, I got to quit my job to try to figure out how to identify what my kids need and to make sure they're successful in school. Yeah, I think that brings us really right back to what we started talking about, which is which is our connection with other people and our relationships and and you know how we how we derive support and and you know just expanded um, opportunities, but also just expand our, our life expands when we're connected with other people, and we 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 are we are in a, in a driven society. You know we have this, and we've got to achieve, or we've got to reach a certain potential, and we only have a limited amount of time to do it. We've got our whole lives to grow and change different opportunities and different friendships and discover things about ourselves. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of folks who, who go, go down a typical path, let's say, and then, you know, many years beyond when you would, you would think, okay, they're going to be working or in a, in a job. Nope. They're, they're reinventing themselves all over again. And we, we all have the opportunity to do that. I keep saying opportunity. I know it's a challenge, but we all have the, the great benefit of appreciating and, and living lives where we experience all of it, all the emotions, all the challenges, all the joys. And sometimes it's, it's giving ourselves a break and reaching out to others to say, I need some help right now. I, I need some help to think differently. And Ripen is wonderful for that. Ripen is a, a wonderful organization of parents and community members and people who can really understand how to help support each other and help people make connections. And I keep saying this phrase, but see differently. 
And you can contact Ripen at 401-270-0101. Send us an email at callcenter at ripen.org. We do these uh, informational webinars and workshops, but we also provide that one-on-one support uh, to help guide folks a little bit. And you can definitely give us a call and, and we'll do our best to help you, our peer professionals. We're about five minutes left and we have a couple more questions that I wanna make sure we get to. The first is, can I use my child's IEP to identify strengths that are not just related to reading and writing? Absolutely, you know, because the IEP should be including those functional um, uh, strengths and, and, and skills, um, or maybe even you may have some functional goals in the IEP that the student is working towards. So I, that's a great place to start um, is, is with the IEP process and the team um, to help you identify what are you good at, right? And what do you love doing? And what puts a smile on her face? And guaranteed when you nurture those things, that spills over into other areas. Yeah, I would say use use planning time for your whole life, not just particular things. Mm. Whole life planning that you're thinking about. Excellent. That's great. Uh, another question, what transition programs are available in the Rhode Island area? I have a few students on the spectrum in the 12th grade. We do work with ORS, uh, they write. So what, what other transition programs are available out there? It can be, it can be a lot to take in. I know there's quite a bit out right. there. Right. So, and I'd, I'd love for you to call uh, right in so that we can have a further conversation. However, on Friday, um, our friends from ORS will be with us at three o'clock on Friday, and we'll be talking about employment. Um, however, there are some transition programs within school districts and also within the state um, that are statewide. Okay, so yesterday, Teresa Curran um, was with us and was speaking a little bit about the Rhode Island Transition Academy at West Bay. And that is a program that, whoa, that's been around for more than 12 years now. And, you know, we've had many students transition through that program. Um, and um, and there are others. There, there's a tech center in Northern Rhode Island. Um, there's a transition academy down in South County and uh, Providence School Department has its own transition academy. Um, and I'm looking at Sue Hayward and East Bay, East Bay um, Transition Academy, which is housed out of Roger Williams University. So there are statewide programs as well as some local within school districts. Um, so I, I encourage you to give our call center a call and we'd be happy to, you know, share um, and also check out the resources web uh, page on the Ripen website because we have all these little toolboxes, um, which are I really like how they're broken up, alternate toolboxes. And towards the bottom of the page, there is a lot of resources just for transition to adulthood. Um, so check that out as well. Just to add to that and say, you know, say this is a different conversation about college, right? What would we want to do? We want to support people making informed decisions and shop around a little bit. So I greatly encourage you to visit the Ripen website and then do some further research to kind of really see with your loved one where they see themselves being the most successful. If there's a particular organization that has a certain niche, maybe with a certain industry that they're interested in, awesome. That's where I think you know, natural relationship building and skill set building can occur in the same breath. That's a great question. So we're just about out of time, just about less than a minute left. And we have uh, just one more question I want to get to. If we didn't get to your question today, again, feel free to call, write in, uh, contact us, send us an email, and we'll do our best to help. Uh, the question is, are IEP, SLP, and ILP all the same, or are they separate? and work together to help my child? How do those interact? So that's a great question. They are all separate. However, 
you really want to make sure that you're pulling the team in together so that they are working together because it would make no sense to have different goals and not accomplishing them. So if you can make sure that the teacher that's overseeing the independent learning plan and the teacher that's coordinating the um, individual education plan, that we're bringing them together in the same room. If, you know, if your child's working with a reading or literacy coach, make sure they're in the room so that those plans are all coordinated. Then when you move on from high school, if you qualify for services through the adult system, you might need an ISP, which is an individual um, service plan. And Crystal has experience with that and has worked with, with folks who have gone into adult services and taken the documentation and what we learned during the high school experience and really helped to create the meaningful life that the individual wants and creating a plan that would support um, that individual uh, to achieve their goals. That's the short answer. That's the, what is it? The reader's digest version. <laughs> Definitely the abridged version. Uh, and, and folks, we are out of time. I want to thank everybody who joined us today uh, in our audience for all these great questions. I want to thank my ripen colleagues, Sue and Crystal, and I especially want to thank our guests, Susan Hayward and Keo O'Donnell, for joining us and sharing all this great information. We're going to be back tomorrow, uh, Thursday, day four of our Transition Week, Transition to Adulthood Week series. Tomorrow, we will be talking about non-employment. That's Friday. What's tomorrow? Tomorrow is post-secondary education. Post-secondary education right. and so training. So we're going to be talking tomorrow. about college and universities, and is that possible? Is that in my plan? And and what's next? So some interesting folks are going to be joining us tomorrow on that. All right. We hope you'll join us as well, uh, everybody. Thanks again for being with us, and enjoy the rest of your afternoon. Take care. Thank Honor you. and privilege. Thank, Thank you. you. Yes. Thank you. Love and respect.